Good morning and Happy New Year from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Juliet Lindley is here at Dufourstrasse 90. Also, Chandra Kurt is close by. Juliet Bonanno, very nice to see you. Bonanno and Happy Epiphany for yesterday. Oh, yes, Happy Epiphany. Well, Three Kings Day as well. Something like that? Yes, yeah, same. And Befana in Italy. Okay. What is in the papers today? What have you found? Well, there's a bit of a racism uh, row brewing in Spain linked to one of the three kings. And then maybe we can look at AI and how many of us are using it in our jobs and how and should we acknowledge it? I actually read uh, a very good uh, piece from a forecaster said we've already reached peak AI, at least in terms of media coverage. Anyway, uh, we're also going (laughs) to be heading uh, to the Bosporus as well. I'm Hannah Lucinda-Smith in Istanbul, and coming up later, I'll be bringing you all the news about football, the economy, and elections. And we'll also be speaking to our deputy head of radio, Tom Webb, about the upcoming World Economic Forum in Davos. Juliet's going to be there as well. She'll tell us all about it as well. It's the 7th of January, 2024, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule. And good morning from a rather damp, very cloudy Zurich this morning. Uh, it's sort of, if I'm looking at the buildings uh, beyond the studio here, there might be a promise of a little bit of sun coming through. Juliet, good morning. Was it sunny up where you live? Because you're sort of a little <laughs> bit abo- above the lake. Above ten, ten meters above where you live. Ten meters above me, yeah. Well, it, it was forecast massive snowstorms today, but all we got was drizzle. Yeah, exactly. But who knows? It, it's it's sort of hovering around zero. So uh, let's let's see what happens. Chandra, very nice to see you. Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year. I'm very it's, happy to start the new year here. Good. It's been a while. Let's uh, maybe start with the holidays. How were they and how has 2024 been for seven days so far? Well, it's so far very good because I already was in the Alsace yesterday to visit the very historic and beautiful wine family, the Domain Weinbach. Um, and otherwise, the holidays were quiet. We stayed in Zurich, um, reading a lot, cooking a lot, drinking, of course, the, the usual habits. And, uh, and now we're ready to start. Uh, tell us about Alsace at this time of year. Well, it's a little bit, of course. It's, the weather was the same. It is heavy. It is, the, you know, the grapes, they have no leaves, so it's really brownish. But, but you have these little villages with the colorful houses. So it's always very um, special to go there. And when you think of, of regions, and of course, uh, Alsace, of course, uh, of course, one of the most important regions, uh, not just within France, but, uh, but within Europe uh, as well. This particular family, uh, what are they famous for? Well, they, they, um, it's, it's like, you know, if you, if you should make a list of the 100 most important wine estates of the planet, uh, and Weinbach will, will be one because it's like they produce like I always say like spiritual holistic wines the, the, of course the main grape is, is Krugewürstraminer and Riesling and but it's you go there and you enter in a, in a, like in a monastery it's another time that the, the time didn't affect it so it's timeless and I think especially in a time when a lot of things change to go to timeless places is a very special moment I like the spirituality component uh, Juliet does that sort of ring with sort of the wine you consume during your Vatican days <laughs> Yeah, definitely rings true. And um, speaking of Vatican, we have a lot of Catholic stories to cover, don't we? Do we today? Well, we could, of course, talk about, you know, the three kings and one of the kings supposedly being from Africa and therefore in so many of the pageants, or do you call them pageants or um, parades in certain Catholic countries? um, You have this uh, issue of darkening the faces of one of the representatives of the three kings. Now, of course, it harkens about bringing back Trudeau, maybe in the whole blackface issue. But um, so one of the, the parliamentarians in Spain, she is the first black female member of parliament. And she is saying this is absolutely unacceptable. It's racist and it's encouraging, um, yeah, intolerance and and a lot of non-whites who live in Spain, despite being born in Spain, do not feel Spanish because of prejudice against them. Okay, and this is a lead story in El País? <clears throat> yeah, leading all over the Catholic press. No, but I'm, I'm curious, what do you think? You know, the, this this is ongoing thing, even in Switzerland with Sami Klaus, no, Schmutzli. Is Schmutzli, yes, Chandra, and and uh, you you sort of color the face, and it's kind of always been done. And traditionalists say, but there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing racist. All we're doing is doing a representation. Chandra, is it racist? Schmutzli has a brown face. I never saw. I only saw they had a big beard. Who Schmutzli? Schmutzli. But he's dark skinned no? I didn't know. That. As a po- wait, he had a brown coat, but yeah, the, the red coat. Oh, I thought that he also in my card games over the seventies. He kind of okay. Well, that's the seventies, and you and, and your card, <laughs> and your card games, per, perhaps. <laughs> But anyway, no, on a, on a serious note, of course, it is a bit of an issue, isn't See, it? See, you can tell no one wants to jump in on this story, right? You should. No, 
absolutely not. Uh, Juliet, uh, we've uh, got, of course, uh, many other things to go through. As I said, we're going to be talking about World Economic Forum in a moment as well. You are heading up to Davos, aren't you? I am. Chandra, are you heading up too? Not at all. Not at all. There, sh- there should be sort of a, a, a proper sort a of you know, wine, wine panel, uh, well, potentially. Well, not after the article today in the NZZ, where you have uh, the discovery of soberness. Oh, okay. Every glass, and they had recently another article. But, uh, someone just discovered it now. They discovered it that drinking is killing. Okay. Well, let's let's see how that uh, gets unpacked. Um, speaking of unpacking, Andrew Tuck, our editor in chief, uh, we just found him. Uh, we wanted to, to bring him in over the last few minutes, but he is there. Uh, I guess maybe sort of head out of suitcase because where are you unpacking, Andrew? And welcome back and happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year, Tyler. Well, well, the good thing is because we we have a base uh, in Mallorca these days that. There's not much packing or unpacking to do, apart from the dog. We took the dog with us this time. So we drove, it takes two days to get from London down to Palma de Mallorca, and then just a bit over to come back because of the way the ferries run. But uh, yeah, amazing. So amazing to be uh, on the road and then uh, in a very nice and sunny Mallorca over, over Christmas and New Year. Have you ever forgotten the dog? One of those ones that, you know, just because you, you get into sort of rhythm and it's so comfortable uh, in, in, in your new setup and then <laughs> you're on the ferries like, where's Macy? No, she, uh, she's kind of a bit of a shadow everywhere I go. And, uh, and I, I did kind of break the door actually in Barcelona when she was sitting on my lap and we, we, had, we, had, we needed directions. So we, we forgot that it was illegal to have a dog in your lap and we stopped and asked a policeman for directions. And, uh, but anyway, she was so cute that she put her head out the window and tried to kiss him. So he, he stroked her rather than giving, giving us a fine. But he did warn us that we, we're not really meant to be driving. A few thousand miles of Christmas with a dog on the lap, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, Andrew, tell us uh, first few days back in the office. Uh, how is uh, how's London, uh, and how's the the world of our of our editorial floor? Well, the, the way that the days have fallen this year. Of course, we have a radio team in, and we have a a, a squad who do make sure that nothing too terrible happens in the world that is reflected in 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 the Monocle Minute. But uh, it meant that there was only a couple of days at the end of the week for the return. So it was a bit of an easing back in, but a good mood, actually. Lots of people had been all over the world, had re- returned to London. So it was great people, seeing people had been in, in the States, uh, in Canada, uh, back in Oz, all back in the office. And yeah, a really good mood, I think. So you just heard going into the uh, just your introduction that we were talking about to the notion of sobriety uh, and uh, and of course uh, you know Chandra has to weigh in on, on this topic. But have you done a, a bit of a sample, Andrew? How many people are on specific diets? How many people are have gone vegan uh, this month? How many people uh, are having a dry dry January uh, in the monocle quarters at least? Well, I'm going to upset Chandra because I think it's reasonably high. Uh, well, first of all, I'd point out that most of the team Monocle went for it in December in, in quite a big way. But we put uh, drinks out on Friday for anybody who wanted to have a, a drink at the end of the day. I think there were two takers out of a, an entire office. Everyone else was looking a bit like peaky still from their, from their celebrations over New Year. But uh, So I think it, I, I, I imagine it will last another week. But uh, it, it seemed to be a little bit of a quieter return to, to, uh, to form. And lots of people you know full of ambitions about what they're going to do this year but in a way that's a good thing it's a it's not bad to have a a set of targets as you begin the year and let's talk about ambitions uh for for the year uh without giving away too many secrets but uh we had a we had a summit uh in paris before christmas we had a a a mini a mini summit back in in london you're heading uh this way uh day after tomorrow uh as well because there's another summit in switzerland uh of course uh amongst uh, our our own uh, editorial and 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 commercial team but what's got you fired up for the year well, first of all, let's just take check of where we we are as a company because it's extraordinary in a in a landscape of big media players how we we should be really proud that we have got through the last three years and all the things that has been thrown at us by by the world and that we stand in a very strong position and we look ahead at a year where we're suddenly in a position where I I think we can begin to stretch our wings and 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 speed up some of the projects that we've talked about before so. There's definitely going to be a look at how we tell stories in the digital world and what that means for dot-com. I think there's a renewed ambition about uh, how we run our books business. But I think is the key thing is, coming back to the journalism, we, Tyler, when, when we started this magazine all those years ago and the very first conversations I had with you about what should be our ambition, I think none of that has been lost, but I think that our capacity to do more of it and in a market where there are fewer people doing really 
independent journalism where they put people on trains, on bicycles and planes to go see places and to meet people and to take photographers with them. I think that's, it, it, we're in a very strong position. So I think it, there's a lot of ambition about just that, how we, how we tell stories, have an independent voice, challenge them orthodoxies along the way and take care of a, a, an incredible audience and readership that has been with us, many people, f for, for multiples of years, but even people who have joined us recently who, who, who look after us as a brand in a way that is extraordinary. Um, I like the prioritization of uh, trains, bicycles, then aircraft, but I think... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, only because the maybe wind... Not, maybe, the, not, maybe not 737 MAX 9s, but anyway... No, but, no, just uh, in case the, the door blows up. <laughs> Uh, but a good way to, to deploy uh, a journalist. And it's amazing. We're coming up to 17 years, though, uh, which is, what, about a month, I guess about a month away until we had that first uh, March issue in our hands. I know. It, it, it is extraordinary. It feels like no time since we were up in Boston Place. And that I always remember that evening when the first truck arrived and Saul and Rob and, and Jackie and all of us were there. And we unloaded that van and we put envelopes in the very first subscription uh, magazines rather in the very first subscription envelopes and in a way everything's changed nothing's changed we're still a very hands-on company many of those people who were there on the first day are still involved in the business in one way or another and I, I think that the growth that we've seen over the 17 years has been has been phenomenal and, and but it, it, the, the world has changed so much around us that it is extraordinary that we've managed to stay true to many of those early principles that print matters, that quality matters, that the craft of journalism matters, that the craft of photography matters, and that we should always try and tell stories that aren't popping up on everyone else's channels, whether that's now, nowadays social media or whether that's in the world of you know, newspapers just running stories that have appeared elsewhere. Andrew, on the topic of craft, should we talk about the craft of, uh, of winemaking um, and, and the craft of also making great recommendations? Chandra's here, uh, new listeners uh, to this program. Of course, Chandra Kurt uh, is one of the most uh, renowned wine critics uh, and writers uh, and, and, of course, uh, very much uh, a curator uh, in, in this space. Uh, and if you've not listened to this program before, uh, this is a very, very special part uh, where Chandra, of course, uh, dispenses her wisdom uh, to, uh, of course, uh, the assembled group. But also today we also have a special guest who will come to it in a moment, and we're actually having audience participation because it's just, it's actually, Juliet, you've noticed this and it, over these probably the, the last sort of, um, what, maybe three or four months, more and more people show up on a Sunday morning. So we actually yeah. have a, pretty much a full... Groupies. A, <laughs> groupies and more uh, who are here enjoying their coffee, uh, also listening uh, to radio as well. So listeners, this is, um, of course, we're, we're normally sort of talking to uh, our own colleagues and team, uh, but if we've brought someone up uh, from uh, from the audience uh, as well this morning who will be coming to, uh, will be coming to uh, him in a moment. Uh, but Ch Chandra... Maybe just before we kick off and, and start, and we'll, we'll start with uh, with Andrew, and, and maybe uh, we'll find out if he's having a dry January or not, or is going to save those bottles till February. Um, how does the? I know it's a big question, but how does the world of wine, in terms of what's going to be uh, hitting our glasses, uh, going onto uh, store shelves uh, from from, of course, yeah, twenty two, twenty three. How is that looking as we go into twenty four? Well, I think you have some some big topics. I, I don't speak about you know the 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 article I mentioned before at the beginning. But one of the big things is this organic planting, that uh, that uh, environmental friendly planting. I think this has is, is going all over. So by by by, like to say, in ten years, most of the, the vineyards have to be to change and have to become organically. So I think this is a very beautiful evolution. And then the local, uh, like already you can see since a few years, becomes more and more important. You know, also because uh, the world is in such an unrest, so you, you, you retrieve a little bit in the local, in the neighborhood, and the local wines are really very important and, and very, very appreciated. Um, you have a, a problem with red wine drinking, is going backwards. So rosé is, is rising, bubbles are rising, maybe you want to have some fun a little bit in these heavy times. So, so rosé and bubbles, I think, really are to watch out. Uh, then the climate change is changing regions, so so you have some replanting of grapes like Alsace, for example, the Pinot Noir. Ten years ago, nobody spoke about Pinot Noir, and now Pinot Noirs are there, so so interesting. And in Burgundy, the style, for example, is changing of Pinot Noir. So you have it's for the, for the winemakers very difficult. All this this shifting that is happening, but it fits the time with all the changes that came already and that will continue to come. Andrew, uh, maybe Chandra set you up. We're in heavy times. Uh, of course, we're in the news business as well. Uh, so we're, we're dealing with that day in and day out. Are, are you in a, 
Are you looking for rosé and bubbles tips or, or what, what are you looking for today? <laughs> okay, Chandra, just because you've spoken about the industry, maybe we'll turn it around a little bit this, this time. Uh, what, what wine do you, or winemaker do you look to who you think has shown resolve, has had good resolutions every year to stick to what they're doing? What, what's a, a great classic that you would go to? I don't mind white or red, but maybe let's let's get you to tell the story this time. Maybe something that's got a good story behind it that shows commitment to the industry, just as we were talking about commitment to publishing. And, and Andrew, maybe on that, with probably a view that you would want to you know, have two or three cases, as you said, a good classic that's always sort of on, on standby and uh, tucked under the kitchen shelves. Tucked under the desk, I was thinking, but yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ju- Juliet, uh, of course, uh, one, one of the biggest wine consumers um, around, around, the, around the table. Famously. It's not wine, it's rum. No, I have a question on behalf of our amazing executive producer here at D90, who is about to leave us so sadly because she's heading for South America. So I want to ask Chandra on Desiree Bandley's behalf, like what should she look for when she's in Bogota when she feels like a little tipple? Okay, that's 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 a challenge for Chandra, but she uh, she seems to be taking it uh, in her story. I thought you were going to say for send off drinks, what we were going to have to, to see. About- yeah, what are you planning for? Is it today? Well, like when when are the drinks? I think Izumi's organizing it, so I've I've I've, 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 I've delegated the uh, the farewell. Anyway, I don't think it's here. Maybe I think, sake. I then. think it's at her favorite cafe. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we'll we'll, 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 see, we'll see about we'll see about that. Um, Emma Nelson. Morning, Chandra, and a very happy new year too. It's lovely to, lovely to hear you back on the radio. Um, so, as Tyler mentioned at the beginning of this programme, I have to exercise a little restraint for a couple of weeks, uh, but I don't like to limit my in- level of enjoyment. So, can you recommend one glass of something beautiful that I can have on a Friday night, which brings not only health benefits, but I need to know what do I do with the rest of the bottle? Okay, Ch- Chandra, Chandra nodding uh, at, at, at that one. Uh, and, uh, and finally, as I was just saying a moment ago, uh, we've also uh, decided to, to bring uh, someone uh, up to the radio desk uh, here today. Uh, Jonathan uh, Ducre, is, uh, he's, a, he's a local. Uh, he's been uh, a reader, I think, since the get-go. Uh, he's been at multiple conferences. He's a Monocle patron. But um, perhaps more importantly than all of that, uh, he is a photographer of some renown, uh, very much uh, in a space around uh, architecture, a pretty good eye for, for good modernism, I would say, and uh, also uh, very good at, uh, at travel uh, reportage. Good morning, Happy New Year. Very nice to see you. Good morning, Happy New Year as well to everyone. Okay, so uh, you know how this goes, John. You were, you were chatting to Chandra before the program, so maybe you were already asking for a few tips. But if you could think of, uh, or if you've thought of something uh, in terms of what you need as part of your, your wine uh, diet, uh, fire away. Great. So I'm cooking dinner for vegan guests next week, and I'm probably going to do penne with a vodka sauce, vodka tomato sauce, and I was curious what would be the best wine to serve with it. Okay, very good. Uh, We will come back, Jonathan, on those. We'll have you come back around uh, the microphone uh, towards the end of the program. Uh, Chandra's going to uh, scurry off and and do her uh, her homework uh, around that. Um, Andrew, just um, if we were to... uh, Go to the, the news component uh, of this uh, program, at least one part of it anyway. Um, what's, um, what's making uh, headlines? Uh, Julian obviously talked about uh, a story that uh, was, was bubbling up or has been bubbling up in Spain, obviously, um, around the topic of the epiphany. Uh, but, uh, Andrew, what, what have you spotted in the UK press or, or beyond? And just on that, it's interesting, in Mallorca, you obviously the, the, the Three Kings uh, parades have happened. And I think there that people are trying to be more sensitive. But it means that many of the people who I think who are in the communities who have come there from Senegal, from other places around the world, these people are now very much part of the, the parades in, in somewhere like Parma. But I, I'm not sure what happens in all the villages. I, I think there's still a little bit of a, an old school take on, a, on, on how you approach the, the, the day. But you, certainly in people's windows, you see dolls and things of, of every hue trying to reflect uh, what they want from the Three Kings. And I think it's, 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 there's a bit of time lapse in some places, but it's okay. But anyway, uh, in, in, in the newspapers today, and Tyler, I w- I'm keen to know your, your take on this Boeing story later mm. on. It's, it's, as a PR story, it's... it's it couldn't have come at a worse time for them. But uh, for the newspapers here in the UK, that story is getting a lot of coverage. Uh, airline stories always get picked up in a, in a big way. But I think here, as you've mentioned in your column this morning, 
uh, in the Monaco Weekend Edition, that is the starting gun has been fired on all these elections around the world. We now know that Sunak, uh, the, the British Prime Minister, says that we, we, he's minded to have an election in the second half of the year, which normally means a November election because we don't do them during the, the, the aftermath of the summer holidays. So likely November. And he's given an, an interview to the Daily Telegraph today in which he says that he... He's as much as said there will be tax cuts that will come in a spring budget. So you can see why he's holding out for November. Because what we have a problem here is that even though there's some other tax cuts which are just beginning to feed through into people's wage packets for what we call national insurance, those are small and they don't negate all the things that have been added on over the last few years. So for him to get a feel-good factor going again is going to be very difficult. So he'll have those those cuts in spring and he'll want to see them hit a few successive pay packets before he decides that it's time to go to the country. So the election is a big thing this morning. Uh, Andrew, just uh, also we, uh, you know, it, it came uh, certainly at the, at the start, very much at the start of the year, um, and we we're just talking about going into the into the program. I'm just actually seeing it up on screen right now. Of course, we have um, the abdication of the Queen of, of Denmark, uh, and uh, you know, it wasn't a story that uh, you know the UK press probably had a lot of time to to do any big long pieces. But um, you know, it's it's certainly prime territory uh, in terms of now uh, someone who's been the longest serving monarch, uh, uh, certainly in in, um, in in continental terms when it comes to royal families. Is that making much, much news? It made a reasonable amount of news here at the beginning because I think she's seen as similar in some ways to uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, uh, our late queen, because of the longevity of her her time on the throne. And also that her life encompassed many of the things which are now thrown at at, at modern royals, you know, how to be contemporary, the fact that she, she married a commoner, uh, that he had to try and work out how to find his place in a in, in, a, in a, a monarchy when there really wasn't a role for him. So I think that people are reflecting on the on Harry and William and how her story could maybe help them and even Charles a little bit. And also I think that she was she was quietly popular here because she was such a uh, an anglophone. She'd she'd been to school here in the UK, and I think also because she, she was such a character, you know, that she had you know she had. The, a wild sense of, of dressing. She liked to make get people to make clothes that she had chosen the fabrics for. So I think she was, she, what, what coverage there was, was, was very positive. Yeah, and, and I think you, you recall that, um, that, that moment during the Olympic Games, I was invited uh, to, um, to, to join the Queen on, on the, the Royal Yacht, the Danaborg. And uh, as, as you said, a real, um, just a real character. And I think I said to you, Andrew, the first thing was, when I came back from the Danaborg, I said, I've never seen proper casting for sailors like that in my entire life. Uh, so <laughs> it, it was very, it was very clear that the Queen uh, wanted, uh, you know, a well-cut short, and uh, and she wanted uh, the best of of Denmark uh, staffing the ship. But the amazing thing was, uh, when I was invited down to uh, to to meet her, um, one of these cadets or sailors, uh, you know, immediately sort of, you know, sprung, you know, sort of sprung from around a corner. And he had a beautiful uh, wooden bo- wooden silver box with cigarettes, and he he offered me a cigarette. And of course, you know, if anyone's seen the pictures of the Danaborg, I mean, this is an incredible royal yacht. It is all wood, and you would probably say, you know, in any sort of modern terms, you would have no smoking anywhere. Um, and he produced that cigarette box, and and then she said, um, she said, do you want a cigarette? And I said, no. I said, I'm fine. I don't smoke. And she said. Uh, she goes, uh, do you mind if I have a cigarette? I said, it's, 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 it's your yacht, your majesty. And she said, she was, right answer. <laughs> she was, she was uh, anyway, and, and quite something, I think, to see. Um, of course, uh, I think back to sort of uh, the late days of, uh, of when we were doing wallpaper, that we had actually the Crown Prince um, in the magazine then. So it'd be fascinating to see, you know, an, an amazing handover, what's going to happen. But also logistically, that you spring this, you know, over the holidays, and that they have to have a proper coronation. Uh, in well, just in, in a week. Yes, uh, although I, from what I understand, that the, the coronation is a much more stripped-down version of what you have here in, in the in the UK. It's, it's kind of like appointing a new CEO in, in, in a good way. But I think also what's been interesting is to now see the Crown Prince and uh, and and the, the new Queen being discussed and, and about how they seem a good fit for Denmark. You know, they, they they're contemporary, they're easygoing. But yeah, the, the, the her reign has been something extraordinary, and I think you know, that 
again, when you see that she was, she could speak five languages. She's been to the Sorbonne. She was, she was cool. She, you know, she just had a good take on the world. And, and she was one who many years ago pushed for a greater understanding of, of allowing immigration to work successfully. You know, if people are coming here, let's make them feel welcome. She scolded Danes during the COVID period for going out and being reckless. You know, she was mother to the nation in a way that I think Queen Elizabeth II would have liked to have been a little bit more, if it, but was bound a bit more by formality often on, on occasion. Juliet, you have... Uh... Yeah, Andrew, we're here looking at uh, pictures of the day that she announced her abdication in her bright lilac outfit. Very, very colourful. But I'm just curious because, of course, there's been so much um, uh, discussion about the timing, right? And uh, linking her decision to abdicate. I mean, she's in good health, even though she has a chain smoker and everything. It's not like you would have thought that that was coming right away. And everyone's linking it, of course, to her... Um, to the allegations of infidelity of the crown prince and it was kind of like she this is what they say that she figured that if she's gonna keep the um, the couple together um, promote the son, the the husband as in is the Australian crown princess Mary now to be queen uh, gonna break up or not well if I make her husband king then she won't which I find a bit demeaning to think that a woman is that ambitious that she's just gonna stay cuckolded as long as she can have a crown on her head yeah but listen have you been to the to the palace uh, as well or those pa- palaces you, you get a, you get a royal yacht it's not just what which gets she's back on to the top, top of your head I don't know Andrew I, I don't uh, know are you baiting Andrew on this one because Andrew came from Spain and you think that Andrew is reading all of the uh, this the Spanish tabloid press maybe Andrew do you have an angle on this well God, the, the poor the poor Spaniards have enough gossip to go on and, and I think the resurfacing of the Prince Andrew story here again in the UK that you know, this is why we love or don't love the royals you know that in any country they, they provide both uh stability in some sense and instability in another in in the soap opera styles of life that wrap around them but i i i i think it's unlikely if she thought that their marriage was about to collapse because of a, a simple thing about a title i think it's more likely that she wouldn't have actually abdicated i think she must feel very confident that she's passing on her her role and her mandate to to, to safe hands yeah i i, I, know, I well i don't know you're I don't know, I was just going to transition to Nostradamus and his <laughs> predictions for this year and how people are interpreting the fact that he refers to um, the person who will become king this year in the place of the current one is someone who was not marked to be king, i.e. Prince Harry. But we're going to leave it at that. Okay, nothing else from Nostradamus. No, that's it? Well, apparently the Pope is going to go and be replaced by a Roman, World War Three, turmoil and conflict with China. Okay. I need to read more about yeah, it. It's I, I, not my area of specialization. Exactly. Maybe we should just go to, to, to the real news. Uh, Andrew, stay, stick around for one second. Uh, Emma Nelson, though, is, uh, is there with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Flights have been cancelled and more than 170 Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets have been grounded by the US airline regula- regulator after parts of a plane fell off during an Alaska Airlines flight. The FAA has reportedly ordered airlines to inspect what it calls a mid-cabin door plug. The Lebanese militant group Hezbollah says it fired rockets at Israel yesterday and in response Israel said it struck a terrorist cell. Meanwhile, fighting in Gaza is continuing, especially in the southern city of Han Yunis. The Japanese Prime Minister says he'll provide ceaseless support to areas devastated by the New Year's Day earthquake. At least 126 people have now died and more than 30,000 people are still homeless. Travellers across Italy face disruption tomorrow after airport baggage handlers and security staff go on a 24-hour strike over pay and working conditions. Airports in Florence, Milan and Rome will be affected. And a new study has suggested that consuming grapes every day can boost your eye health. A group of elderly Singaporeans were randomly assigned a daily 46-gram portion of freeze-dried grape powder or a placebo powder. At the end of the test, those who'd eaten the powder had healthier eyes. The research team at the National University of Singapore say the beneficial effects of grapes is exciting when it comes to the health of an ageing population. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zero. Thanks very much for that. Um, but any sort of sense of, well, I'm just wondering, why not fresh grapes? Um, why, why grape powder? I, well, these are so many questions that this, this thing answers. I mean, 46 grams of fried, freeze-dried grape powder. Um, I was wondering whether a small glass of red wine, Chandra, might have not just had just the same effects on your health. It, yeah, might, have hel- it might have not have helped your eyesight or it might have made it a little blurry. Chandra can see you from here, actually. She's not even wearing glasses. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing what, what that grape juice does. <laughs> this is the reason why I wear glasses, Emma.
Why? Because you don't eat grape powder. I don't powder. eat enough. I don't drink enough wine. You so. need to drink more wine. <laughs> you need to go to Singapore and prove to them all the beneficial effects of not, yeah, of trying the real stuff. Here's here's a late breaking story. Also, uh, this uh, this uh, this is this is uh, something for Andrew Andrew as well. But I want to talk about aviation um, in a moment. But uh, Le Figaro has just uh, reported that Rafael Nadal has withdrawn from the Australian Open. He's got a muscle tear. Um, so he has officially withdrawn. Um, Andrew, on that, um, is, is Mr. Nadal, I've, 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 he's actually been on one or two flights when I've been flying out of, out of Palma. Um, it, it's sort of interesting when you see sort of, you know, the power of like Cristiano Ronaldo and you think of Madeira and, and then also his, his relationship uh, to your stretch of the Medi- Mediterranean. A- and any sense of it? Oh, completely. I, I, I think he is regarded as a, as a, as a real hero because he, he's con- Continue to be connected with the island. He has a, a big uh, tennis academy there. He does lots of work with uh, the communities and with his hometown. He's very much a presence on the island. I think that him and his family are uh, highly, highly regarded. And he's, he's leaving a legacy that, uh, you know, as he steps down from being in the next few years a, 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 playing, a, a player to become more of a, an advocate. For, for tennis, then how, how great that he's all these years been building up this legacy. No, I think he's, he's, he's highly, highly regarded. Um, Andrew, just before we let you um, get, get on with your, your Sunday, we will come back to you, of course, a little bit uh, at, at the end of the program, uh, of course, uh, to uh, have uh, Chandra uh, give out her, her wine tips. I was just wondering, you know, as a journalist, as, a, as, an, as an editor, um, you're spending time, of course, uh, at, the, at well, of course, the, the end of the year, but also, I think, going into the start of the year, uh, being in Spain. Uh, you're, of course, now back in the UK. But, of course, we have tricks as journalists. There are things that, of course, uh, you know, there, there are the lists, the rankings, the look back, the look ahead uh, that, of course, all, all news brands do. But I'm wondering, was there anything, was there anything particular you found um, in, in Spain? So whether you're sort of, you know, watching TVE or whether you're uh, reading the, the, you know, the Balearic section of, uh, of, of El Pais, uh, that you think, oh, it's interesting how the Spanish and the Spanish media uh, approach and package uh, or, or certainly build up uh, a, a, a certain platform with it within their own media landscape. Well, oddly, because where I, I sit, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, is, is you know, the, I tend to be looking at the kind of local press. And so in, in Spain, Ultima Aura, it's just these local newspapers, even they're not huge affairs, but they are, are super important to telling the island story. And what's interesting is that even when you go to some of the, the, the smaller towns or cities such as Soyer, that they still have two newspapers in in Catalan who can continue to this day so I think that local news has has somehow survived and I think that's why the, the many reasons I find the, the Balearics and Mallorca in particular fascinating is because in a way they're they're almost run like countries they they have their their own their own traditions and habits and ways of doing things they're big enough to to support uh, media brands so I find myself going to that, that local news again and again, and it's interesting that they're 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 good on covering politics, they 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 stand up to city hall. It's a it's a good traditional kind of newspaper model, and then yeah, I, I do look at El Pais, and and I look at El Pais because I think you know, that just as in the UK, if you pick up a newspaper, it's it's looking back to the world that it once knew. So Spanish newspapers are very good at covering. Mexico and uh, what's happening in Latin America. So it, it's just that pivot you get from being in a different place and looking out through the the telescope. You just see a different world from wherever you stand. As you know, from being in, in the Germanic world, suddenly many of those things uh, from the Anglosphere just don't seem of any relevance w- whatsoever because it's perspective. And that's, and that's, again, let's go back to that very first thing we were talking about about Monocle. If, if we do one thing that's really good, I think is we have these different perspectives. We, we, we're not sending people in all the time. We're not trying to cover everything from London or Zurich. We have these perspectives from different places around the world. So, yeah, I, I would say pick up the local press. Yeah, and and Anna, what's interesting as well is there's also something about Spain too, which is you know if I, if I look at off, off in the UK press, even on a national level, of course, it, it all comes back to to London, uh, you know, almost no matter what. And you, yes, you might jump to Cardiff and you might jump to Edinburgh, but just the power of the Spanish regions um, as well. And and it's interesting with the way I think even El País sort of you know, divides up the regional coverage. You know, we don't see. 
the Guardian or 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 even the Telegraph having all of these different you know regionalizations where you really feel if I'm living in the northeast of the country in the UK that there's three or four pages devoted to what's happening, but it's very much the case um, in Spain. And of course, there are autonomous regions, and maybe there there are reasons for it. But I think that's also one of the very exciting things. Uh, I think when you look at the Spanish media in general. And I think what's also interesting there is you know, that, that that's, that's where the media has a big role, like the likes of El Pais, because the, it is very regional and you have these super strong cities. You have you know, Valencia, Granada, Sevilla. So if, if, depending where you are in the country, you don't need to go out of your region to find you know, a great city or um, the mountains to go to. These regions are all very self-sustaining. So the Spanish central government, I think, is certainly dependent on newspapers doing this coverage because how you make connections between places and, and link people together is super interesting. So for, for the Balearics, for the Canary Islands, the, the, the other interesting thing is not a media story, but you know, to make sure that people feel that they can go back and forth and that Spain functions as a whole and doesn't break up only into its constituent parts. You know, the, the central government helps underwrite huge discounts on on airline tickets, on ferry crossings, to make sure that people do do travel between to, between regions and the islands don't kind of float off, as it were, and feel disconnected from the, what's happening on the mainland. So they do a lot of interesting things, Spain, to try and, and, and keep that narrative going. But you're right, it's, it's unlike the UK. All of these regions often have their own dialect, their own, their own language, but they certainly have a, a cultural setup that doesn't need outside influence. They could they could self-sustain as a as a as a patchwork of little countries in a way. But that's why the media plays such a big role. Andrew, you mentioned plane tickets. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the 737 Max Nine story uh, right now, because we have, uh, of course, uh, the the U.S. transport authorities. Uh, they're calling for, of course, a, a grounding of these aircraft. We're now waiting, though, uh, to see if this is going to happen uh, within Europe. Uh, I know Iceland Air, uh, one of the the, the big airlines, uh, of course, that that fly this uh, this aircraft, um, and and of course uh, others uh, as well. But of course, you know, most European uh, fleets are much more Airbus uh, heavy, but quite a remarkable week at Aviation News. Emma, you can jump in if you want very, uh, very quickly, but um, we're also just watching on the screens here, of course, you know, replay of the week's events. What happened with that uh, Japan Airlines uh, A350 uh, in Tokyo? And it's just, it's been interesting if you look at the, the aviation press that, you know, they talk about being able to evacuate an aircraft within 90 seconds. Um, you know, and part of that happened up to a point. But I don't know if you saw this one, uh, Andrew, Emma, Juliet. Uh, they said, actually, the, the, the total evacuation took 18 minutes. The captain was the last to leave the aircraft because he had to coax passengers out of their seats. Um, there, was, there was, you know, four or five people who were hanging on who just did not want to leave the aircraft. So the, the captain had to, uh, well, maybe this will come out in, the, in the, the, the remake and the film, whether they had to drag them off the aircraft. But people simply, simply wouldn't leave hiding their cats in their handbags they could have, I don't, yeah I don't I don't know and this is also Japan as well I was wondering how many how many uh, people uh, were actually traveling with dogs because you you do see a lot of um, yeah you do see a lot of uh, handbag uh, size uh, puppies getting on getting on aircraft Tyler two, two things one I, I thought was fascinating the courage of the, of the of the Japan incident was that that nobody tried to open the overhead bins and go down the chutes with their suitcases that the behaviorally people did what they were told and secondly that with with today's story I always thought that it's probably best to be you know not that I ever think about this but if you were trying to get off a plane that did crash land that you'd want to be near the 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 the, the emergency exit doors now this was a, apparently a, a one that wasn't being used but it makes you think that is it actually safer to sit further away from those those exit doors rather than closer to them because it, if that's the weakness in in a plane's fuselage and it's extraordinary that the, those two seats were empty next to it and that and then this young kid it seems was was they managed to pull him across to the other side of the aisle so a p- piece of luck but it makes you wonder where, where is, where's the safest place to sit on a plane. I know, and they're also saying they're calling for people, uh, wh- you know, whether it's, it's, I guess, some part over Oregon, et cetera, to see if, uh, if, they're, if part of the fuselage is in their back garden as well. Not to mention the amount of phones that got sucked out of the plane uh, uh, as well. I'm not, I'm not sure how many people lost phones, but they said just a lot of, yeah, a lot of, like, phones also uh, went, went, out, went out of the, uh, of the aircraft. But, uh, I mean, fascinating watching both the, both the Japan Airlines story. Um, 
but I think also, again, starting here, here you start a year, the airlines have been feeling very good about things. And suddenly you have a grounding, of course, Alaska Airlines looking to merge with Hawaiian at the moment um, as well. Not what you want uh, as an aviation CEO at the start of the year. And we'll come back to you um, in about, uh, I guess, a little under 15 minutes uh, time. Uh, it's just gone uh, 18 44, uh, if you're listening uh, in Kyoto, um, and it is uh, just gone 11, coming up to 11.45 uh, if, uh, in Istanbul, where we're heading now to, uh, of course, talk to uh, our correspondent there, Hannah Lucinda Smith, uh, is in Istanbul for us uh, this morning. Uh, Happy New Year. Very, very good uh, to hear from you. Happy New Year. Uh, Hannah, just uh, if we uh, look at, uh, yeah, whether we're looking at the, the front pages or, uh, or flipping open uh, screens and, uh, and watching Turkish broadcasters, uh, what's uh, dominating news stories at the start of the year in, uh, in Istanbul and beyond? Well, right at the start of the year, in fact, in that gap between Christmas and New Year, there was one story which really dominated the headlines here, and that was to do with football. Um, the Turkish League uh, Super Cup, which is the equivalent of the FA Cup uh, in the UK, Uh, It was due to be held in Saudi Arabia. The Turkish Football Federation had struck a deal uh, with the Saudi football authorities. Galatasaray and Fenerbahce, probably the two most famous teams here in Turkey, were were due to play each other on the 29th of December. And literally at the last minute, as the teams were coming out onto the pitch, uh, it was called off. The reason being that both teams wanted to wear T-shirts featuring Ataturk, the secular founder, of the Turkish nation. It's the 2023 was the centenary of the founding of the Turkish Republic. They'd wanted to do that to, to commemorate that. And Saudi officials said, no, that's not allowed. It's not part of the contract. Uh, and the match can't go ahead if you do that. And so both teams took the decision not to play, flew back to Turkey. And how, how did this uh, pl- uh, play out? Because as you said, it's, you know, you talk about also the centenary of, of Ataturk uh, and it feels like there was, you know, a reasonable sort of, I don't know, at least I would say from a, a perspective beyond the Bosporus that there was a bit of a lid on this. Uh, but uh, yeah, if, if I was sort of to look at, you know, both sides of the of the political divide and, and, and maybe even further afield, uh, how did it play out? Yeah, I mean, I think it says quite interesting things both about Turkey and also about Saudi Arabia. I mean, when we think about Turkey, obviously in the past 20 years, under the leadership of President Erdogan, uh, Islam has come back into public life in Turkey more. That's something that Ataturk, when he founded Turkey, really wanted to kind of stamp out. He wanted to banish Islam from public life. He wanted to make Turkey a modern secular state. And Erdogan's opponents still take Ataturk as their kind of totem. You'll still see, you know, people with tattoos of Ataturk. You'll see pictures of him everywhere. He's really still a kind of political marker. But the interesting thing is that he almost goes beyond that. You know, even religious people here in Turkey, even people who support Erdogan, will still say, look, Ataturk is the founder of our nation. He's, um, you know, he's the figurehead for us. And, you know, really the outrage in Turkey was across the board uh, when, when Saudi officials refused to allow the players to wear those t-shirts. Now, I think also from the Saudi perspective, what's really interesting is what the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has been doing over the past few years in Saudi, different in a lot of ways to what Ataturk did, but in one sense, it's very similar. He's trying to do the same thing of kind of banishing uh, religion from public life somewhat to kind of make it a more secular, more modern state. We've seen that in things like, you know, the organising of music festivals, uh, you know, the relaxations on the restrictions on women. Uh, and also in the kind of money that's being poured into sport in, in Saudi Arabia. Critics would say it's sports washing. Saudi Arabia would say, you know, it's part of the effort to kind of bring the country into the 21st century, modernise it. Um, but, you know, the fact that they still were very, very uncomfortable with having this symbol of secularism so prominently displayed, I think, you know, really says something about the kind of tension between political impetus for change and you know, how quickly society catches up. And, you know, that's something that still plays out in Turkey. You know, a big part of Erdogan's success is based in the fact that, you know, Ataturk's secular reforms, loved by half the nation, hated by the other half. And that's still a tension that plays out. So you know, I think it's really, really interesting, me reflecting on both countries.
Uh, Hannah, just um, I want to um, maybe just move over to um, another topic, which is, uh, of course, uh, wage rises, certainly wage rises uh, when it comes to uh, minimum wage at, at a national um, level, a, a story that you've, you've flagged up. And I mean, and a significant uh, jump, but maybe just on the topic of jumping, not maybe to jump ahead, why is this happening? Of course, we know we have the, an, infl- an extraordinary inflation issue with, within Turkey, uh, but it's, you know, it's, you know, it's one thing to say that we're going re- you know, um, to, to, to have wage rises of you know, 10, 15%, but we're talking about something in the, in the area of 15%, uh, 50, 50%, uh, which, is, which is quite remarkable. It is remarkable, and it's all the more remarkable given that it's not the first time that this has happened. We've been seeing these kind of whacking rises to the minimum wage repeatedly um, for the last kind of year and a half, a couple of times a year at least, getting huge rises. Um, and, you know, at first people were sort of relieved. Now, you know, when I talk to people, they're like, well, great, but it's just going to fuel inflation more. We, we got the latest inflation figures for December a few days ago. It's at 64.8%. It's creeping up again. All the forecasts show that it's going to go even higher. It's probably going to peak in early springtime. Um, But on the other hand, you know, Turkish people are feeling a huge amount of pain, no matter what wage rises come. You know, when you go into the shops, uh, you know, literally day by day, it feels like prices are rising. You know, some things have, have become so expensive, you know, when you convert into pounds, it's almost more expensive than, than London, particularly things like alcohol, things like food, eating out, things like that. Um, but there was one little glimmer of positive news at the end of the year for the Turkish economy, and that's to do with uh, its its hard currency debt. Yeah, at the end of the year, Turkish government interviewed uh, issued $2.5 billion worth of sukkah, which is a kind of Islamic, Islamically compliant bond, and they were snapped up. They were three times oversubscribed. Um, it's really the first sign that foreign investors are being tempted back into Turkey after years of, I mean, I have to say mismanagement, and Erdogan's old economic team. He brought in a new orthodox economic team back in May, They've delivered some really bitter medicine in terms of interest rate rises, trying to bring that inflation down. The damage is so deep that it is going to take some time. But I think, you know, this is the first positive sign that at some point things might start to turn around for the Turkish economy. And finally, just uh, just before we go on, on the topic of wage rises and we think about minimum wage, I'm thinking about service sector as well. As part of this also to, to let's say, to fortify uh, the Turkish tourism uh, you know, sector um, as we start to move towards summer, springtime, etc., to make sure as well that you know, all of the resorts, of course, the Turkish government having a hand in many of them as well, uh, that they're properly staffed. We're talking about what, 17,000 uh, Turkish lira a month, which is, uh, I guess, around sort of something like close to what, 550, 600 US dollars um, per month. Is that part of it as well, do you think? Yeah, I mean, one of the ironies is that, you know, Turkey's, you know, economic woes have made it an incredibly attractive tourism destination. You know, you only have to look at British newspapers when it's coming up to the summer holiday season. Everyone's talking about how great value Turkey is. That's true in one sense. However, it's been really, really difficult for particularly the small business people operating in that market. They tend to set their prices up to a year in advance, particularly for package holidays when they're working with tour operators. And then by the time the summer comes around and they have to buy food, they have to pay wages, they have to do all these things, they find that they're basically out of pocket, um, such as the inflation. So, you know, I'm not sure there really be much help to small business owners. You know, when I talk to people who own cafes, shops, things in, in Istanbul, the minimum wage rises really, really hit them because, you know, they obviously have to cover them. And, you know, even if their workers are above minimum wage, they have to keep you know, bumping it up to keep up. So, you know, I don't think this is going to be particularly welcome news for, for small business owners. Hannah Lucinda-Smith, our correspondent uh, for us in Istanbul. Thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, just uh, coming up to 10.54, we have a lot to get through uh, over the next five minutes. Juliet, you're heading off to uh, to Davos uh, yes. week after next. Uh, yes. You're going to be talking about the world of, of, of AI. Yep. Uh, I know our Tom Webb is going to be joining us uh, in a moment also uh, from London, our, our head of radio. Uh, AI, big topic for you. Big um, topic. My panel is particularly on how it's driving sustainability. So, of course, my, my teenage daughter says to me, 
able to plug into um, bot GPT and see what it's uh, saying about you know the pros and cons of it. So all of a sudden I'm doing it and it's, it's you just plug in, tell me the pros and cons. I need to give a lecture or something on um, how AI is affecting sustainability and it comes out right away, right? And you've got the pros. Oh, it can help with predicting climate change challenges and national natural catastrophes. The cons, you know, well it's expensive and you, you got to have reliable data and so on and so forth. And so then you almost don't even need to be there. Reading, what? You almost don't even need no, to be there. No, you've got it all there right? in a nutshell. But then, you know, I am a big fan, and you too, I think, of the legendary ex-CNN anchor, Zane Vergy. Mm. And she has decided lately to deep dive into things like uh, blockchain, crypto, and AI. So I get a newsletter from her. Mm. So um, the, her latest newsletter is, all of us, in some way or other, certainly students, possibly a lot of journalists as well as people in other areas. We're using AI, but are you acknowledging it? Should you acknowledge it? And if you do, how? So she says, I acknowledge my clients. She's got a PR business, I think, and media consultancy. And she says, I put AI sous chef. So she's the chef, but her AI was a sous chef. And she's giving other suggestions. I'm going to mm. run them by you. She says, you could write written by human, co-created by machine, or AI-assisted article, or co-authored with a bot, or enhanced by generative mm. intelligence. And I'm thinking, how are you checking up on how the articles in Monocle are written or co-authored by bots and or not? And what's your thoughts on that? Well, we should talk to Andrew about that one in, in a moment. But I was I was going to say, I'm not sure that I want all of these like various sign-offs. It's the same thing, you know, when you get, well, it's the whole thing like, you know, I would say like someone said on Twitter, right? It's, it's always these sort of these tech waves. X. And I was, and I, yeah, or, or now, now X. Um, and I sort of think, well, then... You know, why would you say that it was also, you know, it, I, I, this was also sort of, you know, communicated by fax, or this was also, <laughs> this was also like, you know, written on a, a white piece of, of A4. I don't, I don't know why we have to somehow be sort of validating all these things. In, in the same way that also, you know, if I'm having a, you know, a conversation, if I send an email or if I send something to a client that I don't have to go and reference all of the various sources uh, that, I, that I had to go to. But I'm very, very keen to see how you unpack that one on stage. Our Tom Webb is standing by in London. Tom, you've got about a minute to tell us uh, what you're going to be doing uh, with Juliet and also your uh, your merry correspondence uh, you're taking up the mountain to Davos. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year to you, Tyler. Thank you. Yes, this time next week, we'll be sliding up the mountain. We've got a team of three going to Davos. Two of us will be inside the Ring of Steel. And then, of course, we'll have a correspondent in the many houses of Davos outside of the event. These are the talks taking place on the sidelines. You mentioned AI. That is going to be the big talking point. In fact, for the first time ever, there is going to be a house dedicated to AI. Last year, that it was the Metaverse. No, it's really not because I, I went to the house of the metaverse and it was uh, it was an absolute disaster. You couldn't get into it, and then the discussions well, were of course so you flat. No, it was. Uh, I think Nick Clegg was working the door there. Uh, it was very, very negative. In fact, uh, the the idea that uh, everyone is going to be sort of assessing global conflicts on this platform it never happened. We know what happened to the metaverse this year. AI was discussed very negatively. Also last year, threats to jobs again, not to the scale that they were predicting. This year, AI is all about how it's going to boost infrastructure, healthcare mm. systems, transport. Uh, the other big theme that we are seeing, of course, is the elections that are taking place. The Taiwan election will be happening just before proceedings start. Very, very worried about a blockade on Taiwan. It's also related to another topic that will be huge, and that's energy. And we've seen that there is the potential of China weaponizing net zero. They've got all the technology for solar power, for what we need for electric cars. Is this election going to cause uh, the rest of the world difficulty to access these technologies? Tom, we're going to have to leave it there because uh, we, we have much to get through over the few seconds. Let's just tell our listeners we're going to run over time, uh, actually, uh, because it's so exciting. It's the start of the year. There is much more to get through. So uh, also to our technical team, uh, we're going to be running uh, adrift. Uh, but uh, we look forward to your coverage uh, with the team uh, from the World Economic Forum. That was our deputy head of radio, Tom Webb. Okay, Chandra, uh, you've been given uh, your, your assignment. Uh, let's start with...
with uh, let's start with with Juliet very very quickly. Juliet, uh, what were you what were you looking for? You were looking for uh, South American wine because Desi is going to, and you say Desi's leaving radio, but well, she's only sort of temporarily going away. She's going to still be working remotely. Though we're not huge fans of remote working. <laughs> Nevertheless, we're going to allow this to happen when she's uh, in Bogota. It's uh, a six months about yeah. So isn't that so right? you asked Chandra what where, I where, asked on Desi's <laughs> behalf what should she drink presumably that's not too unsustainable so in sense of like local wines maybe Chandra tell okay, us okay so okay so so Bogota you know uh, the, the neighboring country like Argentina and Chile will be the main wine you find but from Bogota there is a very nice winery called the Ein Karim Vineyards it's, it's high altitude vineyards this is very especially for South America and they do the classic grapes like Cabernet Sauvignon Sauvignon Blanc Merlot so so try to find them Okay, big big thumbs up uh, from there, uh, Jonathan. Uh, you uh, you've got to uh, cook. Very generous of you to cook for a, a group of vegans. Um, I would never do. Tyler would never do. You that, would like, never do it either. Seriously. Anyway, I could throw a tofu. Okay, on but the anyway, grill. but go for it. Tell us. No, and they're listening to the show, so now they know what I'm cooking. Okay. So. Well, anyway, thank. Listen, <laughs> yeah. vegans. Thanks for listening. Uh, go go ahead, go ahead though. So, uh, Chandra, what should I uh, serve with? my uh, penne and the vodka sauce. But are you sure the vodka is vegan too? This maybe you have to find out first because in the wine select section I will take a vegan wine and as you also come from Switzerland and went outside I choose uh, from Dieter Meyer, the, the famous musician, yes. take his Puro Malbec from Argentina. It's totally vegan, it's biological and highly rated. So you will be fine. So at least the wine is vegan. But wait, Thank could you just explain why wouldn't a wine be vegan? Yes. Yeah, because uh, when you filter, you know, you too, when, when the wine is finished, you filter it and then you, there are used all kinds of things like from, from fish platters or, uh, or you put egg white in. In, in the in the wine, so it it, it, it binds the, the yeast. So there are all kind of fish of, ladder of no methods idea. that that can be used. Thank you. But not that you that you feel it in the taste. I mean, you cannot say if it's weak. If it tastes fishy, it's bad. A- Andrew. Yeah, Andrew back Hello. in. Hello. Yeah, I, I'm here. I'm just wondering about how ordering a, sh- a shot of fish bladder at my local pub. Right. <laughs> Who knew? Thanks, Chandra. You put me off another drink. Um, so I was asking for something from your industry, a resolution, something that's a, a good story, but I would certainly want to drink as well. Yeah, I think you, you was a tricky one because you also mentioned classic and your classic. There are so many stories, but still because of, of the inspiring and the, and, the, and the resolution, I think I have to go back to my old, old friend, Dirk Nieport, which inspired so many winemakers. He, he motivated them to create new wines and he always went across the borders. And I think these days it's important that we cross borders, we work together, we help each other. Andrew and, loves crossing borders. Yeah, this I thought so. And he's <laughs> also right. cross-bordering all the time and he's not far from you, so he's in Portugal. But he also did wine in, in Spain, and uh, and and I think you should try his wine Charm, which is also always nice to speak about a charming wine. It's from old old Turigan grape, grows on slate, and uh, and he, he will inspire you for the year. And uh, John, I was also going to say, amazing what uh, Mr. Newport is doing, just in terms of labeling. Labeling. And mark. And I mean, it's very impressive. I think I don't know anybody in the whole industry that is so so creative and so inspiring. Now he even they embarked on doing uh, something without alcohol, which is maybe important these days. But but he's nonstop a nonstop creative source, and, and I think this is very beautiful. Andrew, so you got to uh, yeah, pack up the car, get on the ferry, head up head up towards uh, the the Douro Valley, heading up towards uh, Porto. Oh, what a lovely story! Thank you. And and I didn't get to say Happy New Year at the beginning, Chandra. So oh, Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Andrew, I think actually it's, just, it's a good story for us. Not, not that you talk about future stories in the magazine, but it'd be it would be great to do something with them because it is, as I said, Chandra. Just who's working graphically with them on the labeling and everything is it's really it's quite something. No, it's really, and this I think it, it's connected to him also because he gives this 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 energy of of, of creativity. Uh, and finally, Emma, I know we've made you scramble because the show has run over. But hey, listen, it's, uh, you know, it's the world of broadcasting, live we, broadcasting. We push back when we're ready, Tyler. In, indeed. So tell us. Okay, so Chandra, I needed something that was basically brought me health benefits. And I'm not having a dry January. I'm having a vaguely damp January. So just something that's delicious and soul affirming. And I can, what do I do with the bottle? That's the one thing. That's the biggest problem I have is once the bottle is opened, then it has to be finished. Yeah, so you have to trick yourself and you take a small bottle. So, <laughs> so, so, and as you only drink one time per week now, uh, yes. 
So on a Friday evening, a glass. I will not go. You know, it's difficult to have just a glass, and otherwise you end up with a port wine. But I suggest you buy a small bottle of Bordeaux. Go to your local wine store nearby. Ask for a small bottle of Bordeaux. And the good thing is that Bordeaux is, has a lot of polyphenols. This is what you mentioned before, that the powder of the grapes. And these polyphenols are, are they're antioxidant. They have all kinds of good benefits. So you and and you open the small bottle, which is part of the enjoying the ceremony of enjoying wine. So you will just feel mega cold and uh, you cook something have your little bottle of wine and this is how, how little a bottle are we talking about because i also want to okay so that's half so it's a two bottle. glasses yeah yeah that's exactly. half a bottle of wine okay yeah. that's yeah. fine yeah that's we're not talking about enough. one of those thim- thimbles you get in economy on a plane well. <laughs> but is a half is a tiny bottle of bordeaux actually any good yeah, of course. Uh, you, 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 every, every big chateau also makes a small bottle. So you, you will find. Chandra, you instantly make me feel healthier. Thank there you. you. See? you see? I feel wonderful now. Health Good. benefits of Chandra Cat. Indeed. Uh, listeners, sorry for running over time, but hey, it's the start of the year. Uh, it's what we do here on Monocle so- on Sunday. Uh, my thanks to Juliet uh, Lindley. Very nice seeing you. We'll see you up in Davos, yep. hopefully. Chandra Kurt, uh, also Emma Nelson back in London. Of course, Andrew Tuck, Hannah Lucinda Smith, and also our Tom Webb. Desiree Bandley, she's off to Columbia. Uh, a big a big farewell. She hasn't booked her flight. Let's see if she leaves. Mariella <laughs> Bevan back in London. Uh, and also uh, Wadi Sok is going to be uh, looking after the desk for us as well. I'm Tyler Relay. We are back next week. Have a good week. Bye-bye. 